God bless you and thank you for coming into this podcast. I am believing the Lord that you will be blessed. I want to start talking about a uh, series from Revelation chapter 1, talking about this letter to the seven churches, which Apostle John wrote through the inspiration he received from our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, please stay with me on this, and I'm trusting that you would learn something that would cause you to seek God more and love the Lord much more than you've ever done before. And I'm asking that this will um, enhance your spiritual work like it has enhanced mine. So God bless you as you listen. Shall we please go to the book of Revelation chapter 1? And I'm going to take a few verses and we will speak from there. There would be a few more episodes on the same topic. But today we just want to, on this edition, we want to look at the um, foundational issues that would help us to understand this letter that uh, has been written to the seven churches. So please go with me. I'm reading the New Living Translation from chapter 1 of Revelation. And it says, This is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant John, who faithfully reported everything that he saw. This is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. God blesses the one who reads the word of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to this message and obey what it says, for the time is near. The time is near. Verse 4, Revelation chapter 1. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, from the sevenfold spirit before his throne, and from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead, and the ruler of all kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Verse 7. Look, he comes with the cloud of heaven and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him and all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. Verse 8. I, John, am your brother, and I'm your partner in suffering in God's kingdom, and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. It was the Lord's day and I was worshiping in the spirit. Suddenly I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. It said, write in a book 
everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Seven churches. Thank you for your patience in listening to the word because we just need to uh, read all the scriptures as that's the, the premise on which we're going to be saying whatever we say. God bless you. So here we are. Um, we need to understand certain key concepts and uh, so that we can grasp the letter that has been written to the seven churches. Those are foundational things or words or concepts basically that appear all through the thread of the of the letter to the seven churches. So we'll take the, the first word, uh, the church. The letter is written to the church. I, a lot of times we 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 think that the church is uh, the building but the church is far 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 beyond the building the word church is from the greek word ecclesia and it means a people so the church basically is about a people a people called out and the people separated unto God. So the church is about you and me. We that are separated, we that are called out for the glory of God. So that explains the church. And so when you hear the church in Thyatira, when you hear the church in Ephesus, etc., it's really not referring to a, a, a system. It could be part of it. It's not referring to the building. That, that's part of it because we need a place to worship. But more than anything else, it's a reference to the people, to us, his body, the body of Christ. So that explains that, that word and that concept. The next word we're going to hear all through the thread of this letter to the seven churches is that the, the Lord has... The, the, the seven spirits of God, the seven spirits of God, just like we, we read earlier on in, in, in Revelation. It says, uh, let, let's look for that verse again. Verse 4 says, grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come from the seven spirits before his throne. So, we, we we want to look at that and we, we, we use scripture to explain. And, you know, we use scripture to explain scripture. So since we've read that the Lord has the seven spirits of God, we want to quickly run to Isaiah chapter 11. And I'll read from verse 1. Again, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. And that says, Isaiah 11 from verse 1. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. One, the spirit of wisdom. Two, understanding. Three, the spirit of counsel. Four, the spirit of might, five, the spirit of knowledge, six, 
and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Seven. I'll take them again. So this is the same spirit of God manifesting in seven different powerful ways. And so when the scriptures in Revelation, Apostle John begins to speak about the seven spirits of God, it's really referring to these manifestations of the spirit of God uh, in, in wisdom, in understanding, in counsel, and in might, in knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. Praise the Lord. So we will quickly move on to other words that come up within this uh, Revelation chapters 1 to 3. So we prepare ourselves for understanding the letter that Apostle John writes to the seven churches. So we've talked about the church, Ecclesia. We've talked about the seven spirits of God. Now we want to quickly look at the divine authorship. Because when we read Revelation chapter 1, I'll take us back there again quickly because we really don't want to rush this. We want to have good understanding of what we're reading. It says in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1 that this is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. So we know that all scripture is written by the inspiration of God, which he gave to holy men of old to put the scriptures together. And so all scripture is written and basically authored by God. So we're again emphasizing it here that the, uh, the book of Revelation is not just about divine inspiration, but also of divine authorship. So this is a, a revelation that Jesus received from God and he passed it on to John. So as we read through this uh, revelations chapter one to three about the seven churches that have been written these letters, let's have it at the back of our mind that this is a revelation from God and passed on to Jesus, who passed it on to his servant, Apostle John. So Apostle John did not just get, you know, something didn't just come over him, and he said, okay, I'm writing this. No, no, no. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ. So we've established that before we go on to the letters. Now, quickly to also say that, as a foundation as well, that, this letter, though written to the seven churches in Asia, uh, the Bible tells us that they're in Asia, but it's not Asia as we know it today. Th these letters were written to the churches that were based in Asia Minor, and that would be the region of, of Turkey, around Turkey, today's Turkey. And that gives me a bit of food for thought, really, because you and I know that today in Turkey, Christianity does not really have a stronghold as it would have had then, because it's talking about these letters to these churches. That means we had a thriving church. Again, remember the church is not the building. The church is the body of Christ. So the church must have been thriving. And that's why there was this, you know, whole seven whole churches that were, that were in existence at that time. Now, that gives me a bit of something to think about, to reflect you know, to say, oh, if these churches existed and were thriving at that time, 
in Asia Minor. And today in that region, Christianity doesn't really have a stronghold. Then that tells me, indeed, that's me personally, you personally, because although it's written to the church, this applies to us as individuals as well. Really, what this tells me is I must not take my Christian work for granted. Truly, the Bible really says it, that if you think you stand, you need to take heed lest you fall. And so we, we need to put the boundaries around us and not really think that because we, we are in grace and, and so we're all covered. Yes, we are covered, but we honestly, as children of God, need to work out our salvation with trembling and fear. We need to guard jealously, like Revelation 3.11 says, guard our crown so jealously so that nobody and nothing takes this crown from us. This precious experience that we've had with God, we mustn't take it for granted. Anyway, that was just on the side to say that this letter is applicable to individual children of God, to families, to individual churches as well, and of course, to the body of Christ as a whole. And next thing I want to say as a foundation is that this letter of Jesus Christ to the church is to prepare us and to prepare the body of Christ. Uh, and it's still relevant today. It was relevant centuries ago. And it's still relevant for us today. Like we know nobody knows the time. Nobody knows the day our Lord is coming back. But we must live with that consciousness that truly this world is not our own. Uh, I know we have to occupy. I know we have to live. I know that we have to be relevant to the earth. And I am very relevant. Like I would often say sometimes is I, I, I want to live the six o'clock Christian life. I want to be, re you know, the, the, the clock at six o'clock is just up and down, just straight up and down. And, you know, I want to be relevant upwards, but I also want to be relevant downwards. So we live here on earth, but we're not of this world. We have a hope, an eternal hope. And so the letter is still very relevant to us. And the Bible says when John, Apostle John, had this revelation, he saw someone like the Son of Man. You and I know that is Jesus Christ. And when he saw someone like the Son of Man, the Bible says he saw him moving among the golden candlesticks, seven golden candlesticks, the lampstands. And when you go down, we didn't read up to there, but if you pick up your Bible and you read down to Revelation chapter 1 and verse, I think it's verse 13. Can we just quickly check that? Thank you, Jesus. Verse 13 says, that thank you lord and standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the son of man so there were seven golden lampstands some versions say golden candlesticks and jesus was the son of man who is jesus was moving amongst the golden lampstands and the golden candlesticks when you read further in i think uh down the line in revelation chapter 1 verse 19 it explains that these candlesticks is the church, uh, represented the seven churches. And so the, they, were, they were shown to 
Apostle John as golden candlesticks. And when he asked for the meaning, it was explained because scripture explains scripture that these are the seven churches. So Jesus still moves in the midst of the of the church. It's it, sometimes we think, well, the church has lost control. Christianity is dying. It's not going to work. I can tell you the good news that Jesus is still moving among the golden candlesticks. He's still moving within the church. He's still moving in power within the church. Sometimes you might think, well, I want to go to church and I really want to sit in front. That's a good thing. But sweetheart, beloved, he moves around the church. Now talking about the physical church and the building itself, the people and then the building. Jesus moves. The Bible says he was moving among the seven golden candlesticks. So wherever you're sitting, wherever you are, if you are the church, then he is right there with you wherever you go. I think that is some good news. Hallelujah. Praise God. Now, in his right hand, as we read further in Revelation chapter 1, he says in his right hand he had uh, seven stars. And Apostle John asked again, the angel that was with him, what was the meaning of the seven stars that the Son of Man was holding in his right hand? And we came to understand in Revelation chapter 1 verse 19, as it was explained that these seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Wow. Okay. I I would explain another biblical concept very quickly. The principle or the concept of the uh, double reference. Sometimes when God is referring to one thing, it could be a double reference. I'll give you an example. Jesus looked at Peter in the, in the time of his doubt. And Peter was, you know, saying stuff that he wasn't meant to say. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. That was a double reference. So Jesus was speaking to Peter and also referring to the devil. So in this case, the seven stars has a double reference. Number one, it refers to the angel assigned to the church. Of course, we know in the story of Daniel that there was a, 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 a principality that was assigned to, to, to Persia, the prince of Persia. And when Daniel couldn't get the miracle, angel Gabriel said, I called for the prince of Israel. I called for the prince of Israel. So there was an angel as well, an archangel who has oversight over Israel as a nation. So what am I trying to say? I'm saying that just like nations have angels assigned to them to keep watch and even children have their angels beholding. And I'm one of those that believe that those angels don't leave when, when the, the children are grown. They're still there looking and beholding over the child and that adult that has grown. So I believe that this angel of the church, the stars, because the Bible says these are the angels of the seven churches. I believe it's a double reference thing. Number one, it refers to the angel assigned to each individual church, each of those seven churches. And also 
would be a reference to the pastor of the church. And so being a pastor really is a delicate but very privileged thing. Now you are a pastor if you are listening, uh, and I'm privileged to be one as a pastor and a pastor's wife. Sometimes we get discouraged and we think, Oh, the Lord does not know. He does not care. He does care. He holds us in his right hand. And my goodness, if the Lord holds you in his right hand, nobody can snatch you out of his hands. What's, what, what good news? What can ever be sweeter than this? And I mean, this is just so encouraging. So yeah, the seven golden candlesticks represents the churches and the seven stars represent the angel of the church. Praise God. And so, rounding up this session, these letters, again, like I said, were written to seven churches in Asia. And we've said it that this is Asia Minor. And today's world is around the region of Turkey. I'm going to close this session at, the, at this time. But I'm going to ask that you follow all the episodes because we're going to individually look at all the seven churches and the, 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 the beautiful letter that our Lord Jesus Christ has written to each and every one of these churches. God bless you and thank you so much for joining me in this study of the scriptures, in this study of the Bible, and in this journey of getting to know the Lord better and getting to know his word better. My name is Pastor Marjorie Esomowe. And if you would like to make contact with me, please visit triumphant.org.uk. I repeat, triumphant.org.uk or Wisdom for Women International dot org wisdom for women international dot org and again it's pastor marjorie as some way thank you so very much may the lord bless you and keep you and i hope to hear from you god bless you bye thank you so very much for joining this podcast uh, this is Pastor Marjorie at Summerway, and um, I'm truly grateful that you're joining me at this time. I pray the Holy Spirit blesses you with this word and that you are inspired to walk with God at a higher level, at a greater height, in the name of Jesus. Today, I want to continue with my teachings on the letter to the seven churches. I'm sure you've listened to the other two, uh, the previous uh, podcasts on, on this teaching. And if you haven't, I would encourage you to please listen to that first before you come to this letter, because today we actually want to start dealing with the letters. I want to talk about the letter that Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. And uh, I, I trust God that this will bless you. And so, Father, I commit this time into your hands and I commit my listeners into your hands that, Lord, you will 
penetrate our hearts with the word of God and let this word be transformational in the name of Jesus. And so please go with me to the book of Revelations and we're going to read from chapter 2. Praise the Lord. We will read from verse 1. Amen. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I'm reading the New Living Translation. Verse 2, I know all the things that you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You've discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans, just as I do. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what is saying to the churches, to everyone who is victorious. I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Amen. Now, um, if you remember with the, the, the seven churches, the angels of the seven churches, the stars in his right hand represent the angels of the seven churches, which are the pastors of the churches. And I kind of want to recap a bit that even the Lord Jesus followed protocol Every time he wanted to access these churches, he would speak to the pastor of the church, the angel of the church, and he kept to protocol. And we as well, as children of God, must honor the place of the pastor as well and give that honor just like Jesus has done. And again, we know that the candlesticks, the Bible says he moves among the golden candlesticks. Those candlesticks are the churches. Amen. The churches, the candlesticks represents the churches. And so Jesus moves among the churches. He's in charge of the churches. Sometimes when you look at the church, and when I say the church, I mean the body of Christ. When I when when you look at the church, the church looks weak. The church looks like it has no power. But because Jesus still moves among the church. Among the golden candlesticks, I can tell you one thing. We may look weak. We may look beaten down. We may look down and out. But Jesus is still the Lord over his church. He still says, I am building my church and the gates of hell will never ever prevail against the body of Christ. The church will rise again. The church will shine and the church will come up in this end times in power and in grace and in glory. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Amen. So we continue with this letter that has been written to the churches. Glory. The church in Ephesus. You know, when you look at Acts chapter 19, verse 23, 
Acts chapter 19, verse 29, it kind of shows you a glimpse of the church in Ephesus. This was the church where there was a riot because of the goddess Artemis. There was confusion. So it was a church that was located in the center of a city that had a lot of demonic activity. There was a lot of demonic activity within that city. But when you read the letter of Apostle Paul, if you have time, just go through the book of the, the letter to the church in Ephesus from Ephesians chapter 1. Just read through the, the book of Ephesians. You will discover that the church in Ephesus despite the fact that it was located in the center, in the heart of, of confusion, in the heart of diabolical activities, it was a maturing church. It was a church that understood warfare. It was a church that understood uh, the, the hierarchy of the church. You know, the, 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 the Apostle Paul didn't feed this church with, with milk. He fed this church with bones, with meat. So it was a church that was maturing. And we see a bit of a reflection of that within this uh, revelation of Apostle John in in the island of Patmos, as the Lord gave him that revelation to write to this church. So it was a church that was grounded and founded by Apostle Paul. Amen. And Apostle Paul, according to Acts chapter 18, spent quite a bit of time with this church. Sometime when you read Acts chapter 18, he grounded the church in God's word and then handed them over to Priscilla and Aquila, another couple. He left them there, this couple, and then he moved on to other cities. But it was a church that was privileged. So it was not an immature church. Praise God. Now let's hear what uh, the Lord said to this church. Remember the principle, the Lord would always Give a commendation, first of all. Praise that church, first of all. And then if there was anything negative, it would be said. And then thereafter, he would close with a commendation. You know, in, in, the, in, in the way he did with all the churches, it was a standard. He would commend, he would rebuke, and then he would commend. Just like a sandwich, basically, you know. And uh, uh, that principle of the Lord would really help us in our dealings, in whatever we do I, I, with other people. We just have to know that we have to uh, um, commend, rebuke, and then commend. And that way, it's not just a rebuke. And that, that's a, a lovely way. It's a leadership principle, actually, that actually came from the scriptures. Uh, of course, most leadership principles come from the Bible, isn't it? So the Lord starts with this church. He told Apostle John, write to the pastor of the church in Ephesus and tell this church, I know your deeds, which means I know your works and I know what you do. And he goes on further to say, I have seen your hard work. You know, a lot of times when we work for God, when we serve God and we do the work of God individually and then corporately as a church, sometimes we think that the Lord does not see. And that's why sometimes we, we are tempted to give up because we haven't seen the reward, because we haven't seen the answers to prayers. And so many times Christians would work 
and serve God, but sometimes withdraw because it's like I've served him for so many years and I can't see results. But Jesus said to this church, I know your works. I know what you do. I know your works. You know, I want this to really sink deep because as much as these letters, remember what I said in the other edition, uh, the first editions of the, the introductory part of the letter to the churches, I did say that um, these letters were written to these churches in Asia Minor, which today we know is it's not Asia as we know it, but Asia Minor, which is the region of Turkey, all that region of around Turkey, that area. And these things were written thousands of years ago, but they are still relevant to the church today. They are still so very relevant to our work with God, our service with God. And so if you're listening to this podcast and you're getting weary with your work with God, I really want to encourage you. And I want to tell you that your pastor may not see. Your pastor may not see. Your your departmental head may not notice. Nobody may say thank you to you for the work you do within the body of Christ. But Jesus said, tell this church that I see their works. I know their works. I know what they do, the things you've done in secret, the seeds you've given in secret, the things you've done in secret that um, nobody knows about, but you've done. And sometimes you're almost getting weary. I stand here as a servant of God to tell you, don't be weary in well-doing. And then again, let me take this a bit further. It might not even be what you do in the church or for the body of Christ. How about the things we do for family? Sometimes even as a woman, you really almost want to give up because you're thinking, I've given out too much. You feel you've done too much and you're not seeing the reciprocal. You know, if if we keep doing good to everyone that we that is likely to pay us back, it, it, it puts us in a very um, complicated place where we may not see our reward on, you know, again, because those people for whom we think, well, we're doing this good service for or to, if they reward us, then we may not get our reward from the Father because they have rewarded us already. And so I want you to keep your eyes on the Lord. Keep your eyes on, on, on Jesus Keep your eyes on the Father. He is the true rewarder. The Bible says his reward is in his hands. He said, I will come with my reward. My reward is in my hands. And if you are not weary or tired in well-doing, in doing well, I can guarantee you it's the word of God. You will get your reward in due season if you don't faint, if you don't give up. Praise God. If you don't give up on your family, if you don't give up on that child, if you don't give up on that marriage, the Lord says he will repay you if you don't give up. If you don't get weary in well-doing, you'll get your reward. And that's my prayer for you in Jesus' name. The next thing the Lord said to the church in Ephesus is, still commending them, I have seen your hard work. 
I have seen, you know, the most important person is my creator. The most important person to me is the Lord. And he says, he has seen my hard work. He has seen every hour, every labor I put into the work of God. And, and that's so soothing. That's so comforting. That is so almost overwhelming. I mean, preaching this, I'm actually really, truly excited that the one that truly, truly matters says he's seen my hard work. Can you just take a pause for just a, a second and think about it, that the one who truly matters sees your hard work. He sees your hard work for family. He sees your hard work for friends. He sees your hard work in ministry. He sees your hard work in outreaches. He sees the hard work that you put in that nobody else sees. The Lord says, I see it. And then he goes on now after the commendation. And as we go through the letters to all the churches, you'll find that this pattern is sustained. He would commend and then he would rebuke. You know, that, that, that tells me that there's good in everybody. There's good in every situation. And so the Lord will always see the good. He will put a searchlight and see the good. And he said to this church, I see your works. I see what you do. I see your hard work. And he went on now to rebuke and says, uh, uh, still commending them. He says, I commend you because you do not tolerate evil. Wow. You don't tolerate evil. Still commending them. He said, I see your good works. I, I, I see your, your hard work. And I see the fact that you do not tolerate evil. You know, we live in a world where there's always five shades of everything, sometimes 50 shades of everything. And in Christ, no, we don't have 50 shades. It's either yes or nay. The Bible says, let our yes be yes and our no be no. And so God, God saw the heart of this church. They did not compromise the word of God. They did not compromise the light. They, they were not a seeker-friendly church. Let me put it that way. And I hope I'm not shaking no tables here. But they were not a seeker-friendly church. They were an Acts of the Apostles church. They were grounded. And the Lord said, you don't tolerate evil. You don't cover up evil. He commended that church. And he said to them again, he said, you know, Number one uh, commendation was, I know your works. I know your works. I know what you do. Number two commendation was, I have seen your hard work. Number three commendation was, you don't tolerate evil. I pray the Lord will say this individually for me and for you. Because whatever he said to these churches still apply to us today. And number four, he says to the church in Ephesus, I have seen your patient endurance. I have seen your patient endurance. Wow. I have seen your patient endurance. And patience is, you know, I'll just put it this way. Patience is a fruit of the spirit. You know, sometimes we want 
certain things done at certain times, but there is always a Kairos moment. The Kairos moment is the God moment. God never comes late and he never comes early. He Anytime God comes in any situation is the right time. You know, when Jesus delayed concerning Lazarus, <laughs> praise God, that four days, after four days was the right time. Anytime God comes, it's the right time. And I've often told Christians and people who would bother to listen to me to say, as much as you can pray this prayer daily, if you can, and if you can't pray daily, as often as you remember, always say, Lord, in my life, let your will be done. Let the perfect will of God be done. And in this situation, Lord, let your will be done. That is the prayer of the saints, is the prayer everyone who wants to be in God's perfect will should pray. And when we do that, then we can be patient. When we do that, we can wait for God and we can wait on God. You know what? Have you ever tried to boil water and you want a cup of tea, you want it in a hurry? You can't force water to boil. It has to heat a certain temperature, and when it gets to that temperature, it will boil. So you can't force water to boil. Anytime God comes, it is God, is the good time. The God time is the good time. The Lord said to them, I have seen your patient endurance. I've seen how you stand the tests and the tribulations, and the persecutions. I've seen how you stand through it all. In patience, enduring. Because, you know, Christians go through afflictions. Otherwise, if Christians wouldn't go through afflictions, the Lord would not say, many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the good news is, no matter how many those afflictions are, the Lord delivers them from it all. And so I know that whatever you're going through right now, whatever pressure, even if your back is against the wall, you are coming out of it in the name of Jesus. The Bible says, still speaking to the church in Ephesus, the Lord wrote through Apostle John, says, tell the angel of the church, that's the pastor of the church. You have examined those who say they are apostles, but they are not. You have examined those who say they are apostles, but they aren't. Which means there must be signs of the apostles. Yes, the scriptures tell us that there are signs of an apostle. And so, um, um, the, the believer today is so quick to fall for titles. And once you see someone that carries a title, immediately, whatever they say, and, and please, I want to take this with, um, with a bit of caution because I don't want to put rebellion in our heart. That's not what I'm trying to do because uh, I, I don't want you to leave this teaching and begin to think, well, I, I, don't, I won't give regards to, to titles or to the fivefold ministry. The, the church is, is, is standing on the foundation of the apostles. And so I would not want to cause you to err 
But what I'm saying is, there are signs of an apostle's and then there are signs of a prophet, and the Bible tells us to test every prophet. And so, what uh, Apostle John is writing from the Holy Spirit or from Jesus himself in Revelation chapter 2 to the church in Ephesus is you examined, when, when you read the uh, Amplified Version of chapter two, chapter 2 of Revelation, the, the letter to the church in Ephesus, uh, the, the Apostle John says, I love the way it's written in Amplified. It says, you have critically examined and tested those who say they are apostles. So this church was a maturing church. They were they critically examined and they tested all the people who they came across who said they were apostles. So they were not susceptible to false doctrine. They didn't fall for false teachings. They didn't fall for false prophets. You know, sometimes when we are, and I think this ties together with number four commendation, which says, I've seen your patient endurance. A lot of times when people are going through a crisis, when people are going through situations, they, they become vulnerable to everything that people say and they no longer have the patience to tie whatever is being prophesied or whatever is being spoken into their lives to the word of God. And they receive just everything that is being said. Why? Because at that time they're going through. But the Bible says this church critically examined and tested those who said they are apostles. And I love the next one. He gave them, he gave them six commendations. Number six says, you have patiently suffered for me without quitting. Wow. You have patiently suffered for the gospel, for the Lord without quitting. You see, um, I think I want to speak to leaders at this point. Sometimes we quit. We quit our service for God because someone said something, someone did something, you heard something, and then you quit. You quit because you're not ready to suffer for the Lord. Listen, even the Lord, things were spoken about him. Th people... I mean, you can imagine someone calling Jesus and telling him, you're operating by the power of Beelzebub. And I didn't see Jesus flaring up, going around defending himself. The Bible says he even went to the cross like a sheep. Sometimes we don't have to fight for ourselves. Sometimes we don't have to defend ourselves. I like the way Hebrews 11 says it. Hebrews 11 says that the elders of old, they obtained a good report through faith. By faith, they got their good testimony, their good report, a good testimony. By faith, they claimed it and said, look, I don't care what the tongues are speaking. I don't care what rumor mongers are saying. I don't care what malicious people, people who envy me. I don't care what they're saying. I don't care what blackmailers are saying. I don't care what saboteurs are saying. 
I know my God and I stand upon the word of God and I know what God thinks about me and I'm standing upon it. That's what this church did. They patiently suffered. They suffered persecution. They suffered, name it, everything that came against the early church. They suffered patiently without quitting. I mean, I hope you're not one of those that would just look out and see, oh, snow outside. I'm not going to church. Oh, someone in my my ministry group offended me. I'm not going to church. Listen, if you do that, Revelation chapter 3 tells us that if you do that, then you have allowed someone to take your crown. And there's a crown. There's a reward for being faithful to God. And you're not going to let no one take that crown. Can I hear an amen and amen and amen. Glory. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, there's a warning to this church. After the commendation, the Lord wants the church. He says, if you do not repent... What does it mean to repent? If you do not change, you know, God is a God of second chance. He said, if you do not repent, repent means change. Stop what you are doing. Turn around. Make amends. He said, if you don't repent, if you don't stop what you're doing, I will come and take the lamp and the lampstand from out of your church. I'll come and remove it. Praise God. So what was this church doing that was wrong? Verse 4 says, I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I'll come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. So what was it that they were not doing? They were, number one, they fell away from their first love. They turned away from their first love. And then number two, if you read verse six of chapter two, it says, Now, after that, I'm sorry, pardon me. It says their first love, they need to come back. But he closes it with commendation again. Remember the the principle of feedback. And then you can use it as well in your own private feedback to people, to colleagues, to work work, uh, colleagues and then church people, etc. You know, the Lord will come with a commendation, with a rebuke, and then he will close it with a commendation, a sandwich. So now he gives a final commendation. And I want you to pay attention to this. He said, I have this in your favor. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Who are the Nicolaitans? What do they teach? Nicolaitans there represents, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a word that means the conqueror of the people. The conqueror of the people. If you go to quickly, let's look at verse, verse 14 of chapter 2, Revelation. 
when the Lord was writing to, I think, the church in Smyrna, he also said, I have a few complaints about you. You tolerate some teaching like that of Balaam, who showed Balak to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. So this other church, this is not the church in Ephesus. This is the church in Smyrna. The Lord said, I have this against you. You are following the doctrine or the teaching of Balaam. And Balaam was the prophet who taught Balak, the king, how to destroy the children of Israel. And what did he tell them? He said, teach them to eat food given to idols and let them commit sexual sins. Verse 6, verse 16, 15 of chapter 2 says, In a similar way, in a similar way, you have some Nicolaitans among you who follow the same teaching. So we're looking at the church in Ephesus. So the church in Ephesus had the same issue as the church in Smyrna. And we're going to deal with the church in Smyrna at some point. But for now, let's stay with this church in Ephesus. God said, this church in Ephesus detested the teachings of the Nicolaitans. The church in Smyrna followed the teachings, but the church in Ephesus hated the works of the Nicolaitans. So who are these Nicolaitans? From what we have read, they taught the people sexual immorality. They taught the people that it's okay to be immoral sexually. You can ask for forgiveness and God will forgive you, which was a wrong teaching. Now, and then again, verse 14 of chapter 2, still speaking to the church in Smyrna. And I'll explain this in details, but I don't want to just leave this out because somebody might just listen to this and may never go to the next teaching. So I want to explain this Nicolaitans. They have the same doctrine as Balaam. So Nicolaus, these Nicolaitans came out of uh, a man who was called Nicolaus. That's two Greek words. Nicolaus was the man, the originator of the Nicolaitans. And their teaching basically was, it was number one, it's all right to eat food offered to idols. And number two, you can go into sexual immorality, there's nothing wrong. So, Nicolaus is a Greek word. It's two words joined together. Nikin, N-I-K-E-N, which means conquer. And Laos, laity, Laos, Nicolaus, L-A-O-S, which is laity or people, bringing the meaning to conqueror of the people. Conqueror of the people, Nikon and Laos, Nicolaus. So the teaching of the Nicolaitans was a teaching that conquered the people. What is the Lord saying? When we get into the realm of idol worship, and of course you and I know that idol worship is not until you bow to an image. Anything that takes the place of God in my life, anything that takes the place of God in your life is an idol. That was number one teaching of the Nicolaitans. And number two teaching of the Nicolaitans was sexual immorality. It was permitted. Sexual sexual promiscuity was allowed. (coughs) Excuse me. 
it was permitted and they taught it. So the Lord is saying this teaching, Nicholas, Niken Lyos, meaning conqueror of the people, to say when we get into the realm of idol worship and the realm of sexual immorality, that's the realm where we can be conquered. Nothing else can bring down a believer quicker than that. Now, when we get into the church in Smyrna, I will explain and link this up, the teaching of the Nicolaitans to the teaching of Balaam, as we saw in the letter to Smyrna. So when we get there, I'm going to teach that. So what is that which conquers the people? We will find that out when we talk to the church, when we study the church in Smyrna, the letter to the church in Smyrna. And I hope you can join me on that podcast as well. Now, the Lord gives a promise to the church in Ephesus. He didn't just rebuke them. He didn't just commend them. He gave them a promise. Praise God. He gave them a promise. Hallelujah. So when we when we look at the church in Pega, Pegamon, we're going to we're going to look at this whole Balaam and uh, and uh, the Nicolaitans. That's in the in the letter to the church in Pegamon, not not Smyrna. My mistake. So um, that should be in the next teaching or next two teachings. But what is the promise for the Lord to the church in Ephesus? Revelations chapter 2 and verse 7. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Wow. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. That's the, 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 the paradise that Adam and Eve lost. But God says, I will give you fruit. Amen. From the tree of life. If you overcome the Nicolaitans. If you stand and stand your test to the end. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so very much for joining this podcast once again. My name is Pastor Marjorie Esomaway, and you can reach me online via our website, triumphant.org.uk or wisdomforwomeninternational.org, triumphant.org.uk or wisdomforwomeninternational.org. Or you can reach me on Instagram. Marjorie Esomaway 4497. You can follow me on Twitter and you can reach me via Facebook. Thank you very much for listening and God bless you and hope to join you again on another podcast. Thank you and God bless you. Bye. God bless you and thank you very much for coming into this podcast today. My name is Pastor Marjorie Esomaway and I'm really, truly grateful that you found time to 
join me today. And I'm trusting the Lord that you will surely be blessed in Jesus' name. And I know that the word of God has power. It has power to transform. It has power to teach, has power to instruct, and it has power to bring us to the place of liberty and freedom. So thank you once again for coming to join this podcast. Um, We will continue with our teachings on the letter to the churches. I'm trusting that you'll be blessed. If you haven't listened to the previous episodes, may I please encourage you to go to those episodes and listen so that you can truly follow this. And it's all right if you share this with with friends so that they can be blessed um, as well in Jesus' name. So yes, please go with me to the book of Revelation chapter 2 and we shall read from verse 8. Uh, today I want to deal with the letter that um, Apostle John wrote in this revelation, of course, the revelation of Jesus Christ to the church in Smyrna. It's important that we go back to the previous editions, the previous episodes, because I've spoken about the introduction and the letter to the church in Ephesus as well. So it would be good to listen to those ones and then listen to this. But whichever way, I'll try and um, do a recap as often as I can. I would do a recap. Thank you. So let's go. Um, Revelations chapter 2, and I'll read from verse 8. I'm reading the New Living Translation, and it says, Write this letter to the angel of the church in Smyrna. This is the message from the one who is the first and the last, who was dead but is now alive. I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they are not, because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days, but if you will remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Verse 11, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious, hallelujah, will not be harmed by the second death. Glory to Jesus. So, yeah, we've got that now and let's just move on to what this says. So, it says, <clears throat> as an introduction, excuse me, please, first of all, that the one writing this letter, according to Apostle John, from his experience at the island of Patmos, where he was in, on exile when this letter was written, says the first at the opening, he introduces the writer and the author as the first and the last. 
You remember what I said in the first episode that if we want to increase our worship vocabulary, the book of Revelation, the letter to the seven churches is a good way because there we see several introductions of God's name, of how to address the Lord. And of course, in worship, our focus in worship and praise is is to the Lord. Amen. Because once we lose that focus of the worship uh, from Christ, then we've actually lost the real meaning of worship. So we need to get our vocabulary increased for worship. So one of the things that we read here is that our Lord, he is the first and the last. And this is just so deep. He's the first in everything. He's the last, which means he is the center of our lives. You know, I, I, I was reading, studying this week about the, um, triumphant entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem and amazingly found out that as Jesus entered, proceeded into Jerusalem with the cult, the Bible says that some of the people took off their clothes and lay it on the road for the cult. But others picked up fronts, palm fronts, and put on the street. And I pondered on that, you know, because it did say, yes, some put their clothes, some put palm fronts, but Jesus was at the center of, their, uh, of what they did. You know, everyone worshipped God to the best ability of what, how far they wanted to go in terms of sacrifice. Some offered their clothes. That was huge sacrifice. And the others gave palm fronts. But at the end of it, the Bible says Jesus was at the center of it all. He was at the center of it all. Praise God. So Jesus is the first and the last in, in your family in your finances, in your decision as a parent, as a spouse, as a Christian on a daily basis, let Jesus be the first and the last. Amen. And if we walk that way, it will, it would really, really, truly give honor to the Lord every day in our lives. So yes, it says this letter is coming from the first and the last. And if this letter is coming from the first and the last, and we honor the Lord as the first and the last, then I tell you, um, it, 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 will, be, it will be very easy to obey his word, to obey his commandments, and to follow what he says in the letter. I, I, I would presume so. Amen. So I pray that God will give you the strength to submit to the Lord, to submit to his Lordship if he is the first and the last in our lives, especially in these days. As I, as I, as I write this or as I do this podcast, we're in the days of the coronavirus and looking at everything that is happening around us, I can truly say that we really need to have the Lord Jesus in the center of it all of our lives. The Bible says, I was dead, but now I'm alive. So Jesus is speaking. I was dead, but now I'm alive. I mean, such an amazing way to introduce himself. I was, I was uh, dead, but now I'm alive. Jesus is alive. He rules. He reigns. 
Amen. And not only is Jesus is alive, he's alive and the church that he leads because he said, I am building the church. The church, which is the body of Christ that he is building is also alive. Glory to Jesus. Amen. And he said, this is my observation as I, my observation of your church as I walked among the golden seven candlesticks. Remember from the first teaching in this episode, the, the seven golden candlesticks would be re referring to the churches, the, the seven churches, referring to the local churches. And whatever Jesus said to these churches over 2,000 years ago, it's still applicable to the church today. Amen. And he said to this church in Smyrna, this is my, these are my observations as I moved around the churches. This is what I saw about you. And it's so beautiful that if the Lord observes anything about a church or observes anything about us, because these things don't just apply to the church corporately, these words in Revelation, the letters apply to us as Christians as well, individually. So whatever are his observations. I pray that we have the spirit and we have the heart to receive it and, and open up our hearts to work in, in correction and to work in submission to the word of God. Amen. And so Jesus, you know, wrote, excuse me, please. And Jesus wrote this letter reminding this church of who he is before he spoke to them he said i need them to know who is speaking because if they understand that i'm the one that was dead and now alive they would submit to my words praise god and he said to them First of all, I know your suffering. So Jesus reminds us that there will always be a persecuted church. There would always be a persecuted church. Some of us are privileged to live in countries where persecution against the church is, it's always there, but it's subtle. And so we kind of have some liberty, some freedom to worship, but it's not like that in every country. And I want to ask you as a believer, never you live in oblivion of the fact that there are Christians across the world, across, across the nations that are being persecuted, killed, yes, killed in today, the 21st century. Christians are still being killed all over Nigeria, northern Nigeria, uh, Northern Korea, North Korea, some parts of China and across the globe in the Muslim areas, etc. People are still being killed for their faith. And Jesus said to remind us, I know you're suffering. And so we must never forget the church that is persecuted. Never must we live our Christian lives without recognizing that there is always a persecuted church. You may not be able to travel to those, those uh, you may not be able to travel to those countries, 
But one thing is for sure, you can pray for the people in the persecuted church. You can set aside a day as a church. You can set aside time as a family, as an individual, to pray for Christians across the globe that are persecuted for their faith because there will always be a persecuted church. And Jesus said, I know you're suffering. And let me say something about suffering. Suffering can be in different categories. There could be personal suffering for Christ or for what we believe because of our faith. Sometimes there's associated suffering. Why? Because you are close to someone who is uh, being persecuted. And as a result of that, you suffer it. And, you know, there could be consequential suffering as a Christian. And that's when Christians do go walk in error. And as a result of error, we suffer for our error. May that not be your portion in the name of Jesus. And there could be common suffering. Common suffering, I would say, is when, like I, I did say earlier on, this is the day of the um, coronavirus, the COVID-19. This is 2020. And people are going through death. There's death and people are dying, including Christians, including born-again Christians, practicing Christians. So that is common suffering. And we must understand that Sometimes suffering could be a part of our work with God. And Jesus said to this church, I know you're suffering. And so whatever you're going through, wherever you are, do please know that whatever is happening with you, whatever you're being persecuted for, in whatever way you are suffering, maybe you're suffering in that office because you've taken a stand for Christ. And as a result of that, you've had to pay a price for promotion and everyone has gone ahead of you but because you refuse to compromise you're still at a standstill this might shock some of us to hear but there are countries where students will not pass a class in university except they compromise they compromise their faith so jesus sees your suffering and I want to ask that the Lord will give you the grace to stand and not compromise your faith in Jesus' name. Another thing that the Lord said to this church in Smyrna is, I know your poverty. Oh my God. He said, I know your poverty, but you are rich. In other words, he was saying, you are poor, but I see your poverty as a strength. I see your weakness as a strength. Does that mean that Christians should not be rich? No, that's not what I'm saying. But it says, I see your poverty. I know your poverty, but remember that you are rich. In other words, I'm seeing your weaknesses, but I'm seeing them as a strength. In other words, I know where the hidden riches are. Praise God. Jesus was like, I know you are you are you look poor, but deep inside of you there are treasures. That's why the scriptures tell us that we have this treasure 
in effing vessels. You may look poor beating down my beloved, but deep inside of you, there are treasures. And so long as we keep submitting ourselves to God, in Jesus' name, those treasures will come out and you'll become a gift to the earth, a gift to your family because of the treasures inside of you. So take your eyes off the surface and keep your eyes into within the treasures within you that they would come out and indeed you will be a blessing to the world because of what is deep inside of you, the talents that are within you. Glory to Jesus. And Jesus said in this letter to the church in Smyrna, I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. So opposition is, is not always um, because we are wrong. Sometimes you are opposed because the one or the people who resist you are blasphemous. They want to glorify. They don't want to give glory to the God in you, but they want to glorify the adversary. Of course, that's not when we don't suffer only when people persecute us. Remember that there are times when we step out of boundaries. And then we get consequential suffering. But sometimes when people oppose us, it's because of their blasphemy. Amen. And he said, I know the blasphemy of those who oppose you, who call you names because of your Christian faith. They say they are Jews, but they are not because their synagogue belongs to Satan. I'll just take a quick pause here. Their synagogue belongs to Satan. Their temple belongs to Satan. Their church belongs to Satan. These are the days, my beloved, where you cannot look at a church just on the surface. The enemy in these last days has appeared in a lot of places as an angel of light, deceiving almost the very elect. And so we need to be led by God before we come in association with any ministry, before you get in association with any, any servant of God in quote, because the Bible tells us by their fruit, you shall know them, not by their works, not by their power, but by their fruits. They say they are Jews, but they are not because their synagogue belongs to Satan. So we need to be careful. Glory to Jesus. Amen. So, but I know, Jesus said, I know them. And then he goes on to say to this church, I mean, the Lord spoke so much to the church in Smyrna. Praise God. He says, they say they are Jews, but they are not because their synagogue belongs to Satan. And then he goes on to say, do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I want to say this a third time. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Christianity, the work of Christ or the work with Christ is not always a bed of roses. Sometimes we come under persecution. Sometimes we come under testings. Sometimes we come under 
trials like Abraham. Name every man of God, woman of God in the scriptures that have been left. Their stories have been left in the Bible as a cloud of witness. Name everyone and you will find that there is not even one single person who did not go through a trial. I pray for you, my beloved, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you will pass your tests. That when you are tried and tested, you will pass your test. And don't be afraid. Amen. I'm not a false prophet, but I can tell you this. In fact, let me put it this way. I'm not even a prophet, but I'm a woman who studies the word of God. And I can tell you that things are not going to get easier. Things are not going to get easier. We're not going to go back to the days when a loaf of bread will be one, one P. Or travel cost will be one P. Or school fees for your children will be one P. We're never ever going to go back to those days. Things will get tougher. Prices will keep going higher. Pressure will come upon us as Christians to stand in our faith. And I'm reminded about what Daniel says, that it is those who know their God that would do exploits. And this is the time to know the Lord, to know that no matter what, like Job, even if he tries us, even if we're afflicted, we will still hold on because we know that our Redeemer lives. Amen. John chapter 16, verse 33 says, In the world, yes, you will have tribulation. It is, it, it, is, it is part of the package for working with God. In the world, we will have tribulation. But the Bible says, John says, in John 16, verse 33, Jesus writes and says, You have tribulations, but be of good cheer, the Lord says, I have overcome the world. Taking a pause here, a bit of a digression. When the Bible talks about the world here, it's not just talking about peoples. It's talking about systems, the systems of the world. And it says in the world, in the world, in terms of peoples, you will have tribulations. In the world, in terms of systems, and there are different systems bureaucratic systems, religious systems, science systems, different kingdoms, different hierarchies, you will have tribulations. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And so Jesus overcame already. I feel like a shout in my spirit. Praise God. He overcame the world already. He overcame the systems of the world already. Amen. And you and I must know that our Lord overcame. Over 2,000 years ago, he overcame the world. He overcame the systems so that we can stand. And in the letter to the, the church in Smyrna, it goes on to say, the devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. Hmm. To test you. So testing will not always come from God. Sometimes the devil wants to know of what stuff you're made of, 
And so you need to know what stuff you're made of. You need to wake up in the morning and say to yourself, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You need to know that you're more than a conqueror and you don't fall. Jesus did not fall. The Bible says he did not fall to the temptation. And when the devil came to him, he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. I pray for you, my beloved, you will pass your tests. And he goes on to say, this church in Smyrna, the Lord spoke so much to this church. He said, you will suffer for 10 days. We don't know how many days this represents, but no matter how long, no matter what is thrown at you, I pray in Jesus' name that you will stand the test. You will not give up. You will not compromise in the name of Jesus. Praise God. Daniel chapter 1 verse 12. Daniel said, prove your servants, speaking to the, the eunuch. Daniel said, prove your servants, test your servants. I beseech you for 10 days. And let us be given a vegetable diet and water to drink. One of the ways to overcome trial is to live a fasted life. Daniel said, test us for 10 days. Amen. Daniel said, test us and prove us. And did God do it for Daniel and his friends? Yes, the Lord did. I run quickly. I want to read the, the message Bible version of of Revelation chapter 2. I'll start from verse 9. I like the way the, the message version says it and I want to, to read that to you. Praise God. Wow. It says verse 9, I can see your pain and your poverty. Wow. Your constant pain, your dear poverty. But the Lord says, but I also see your wealth in bracket, your potentials. And I hear the lie in the claims of those who pretend to be good Jews, but in fact, they belong to Satan's crowd. Verse 10, fear nothing in the things you are about to suffer, but stay on guard. Fear nothing. The devil is about to throw you in jail for a time of testing. 10 days, it will not last forever. Oh Lord, lift up your hands where you are, saint. People of God, lift up your hand and declare over that situation, you will not last forever. Is it a bill? Is it a landlord? Is it a mortgage? Is it a disease? It will not last forever. And he goes on to say, don't quit. Even if it costs you your life, stay there believing. I have a life crown sized and ready for you. You know, you would never, ever think when the Lord says, if you stand to the end, I'll give you a crown of life. You never really think, oh, is it going to be my size? He said, I mean, I love the way message version says it. A life crown sized, made to your size. And so every time we stand through trials and temptations, there's always a crown. There is always a crown waiting for us when we stand through trials and temptations. Verse 11, are your ears awake? Listen, listen to what the wind words, the, the wind words, 
the spirit blowing through the churches, Christ's conquerors are safe from devil death. I notice that Jesus, take notice, with the other churches, he will start with a commendation. Then there will be a complaint of where they were not doing well. And then thereafter, he will commend them. But with the church in Smyrna, there is no complaint. Nothing against this persecuted church. Wow. Wow. You see, when, when we go through, does that mean that that church was perfect? I don't think so. We all are going to perfection. But when we go through testings and trials, we have a special place in the heart of the Lord. Amen. And then before we, he, he closes, the Lord says, gives them a promise, which he did for every church. He would commend, he would reprimand, and then he would give a promise. He would commend again, and then he would give a promise. In the church to Smyrna, no reprimand. And then he goes on to say to them that, if you remain faithful unto the end, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. If you remain faithful, faithful to what? Faithful in what? Faithful through persecution, faithful through trials. He says, if you stay faithful, you will get a crown of life. Amen. And then he goes on, he says, if you are victorious, you will not be harmed by the second death, which means you will not have eternal death. May that be your portion. May you stand through your test. Now, let me quickly look at this crown of life very quickly. I know this has gone on and on, but let me quickly look at the crown of life. What is the crown of life? Because Jesus said in the book of Revelation to the church in Smyrna, if you are faithful to the end, I will give you a crown of life that is sized to your size, made to your size, made to measure, tailored for your size. Wow. Praise God. So what is this crown of life? Wow. It is the crown that God has reserved for people who are able to endure trials and temptation. So there's a reward for passing through your tests and standing through persecution. Praise God. James chapter 1 verse 12. How do I know? I want to give you biblical proof. James chapter 1 and verse 12. I'll read the King James Version. It says, Blessed is the man that endureth them temptation." Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. I mean, if we love the Lord, then we're able to stand. So the love of Christ constrains us. Blessed is that one, that man, that woman that endures temptation. As our faces are different, so are the temptations, the trials that we face. But blessed is that man, blessed is that woman that endures temptation. For when he or she is tried, 
she or he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Let me read James chapter 1 from the New Living Translation. So we add it all together and it makes sense. Hallelujah. You know, I said it from the beginning that the letters are not just applicable to, to churches today, but they're applicable to our personal lives as individuals who serve the Lord. Verse 1 of chapter 1 of James and verse 12 says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to them who love him. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to them who love him. I'll read this same verse, James chapter 1 verse 12 from the Message Bible. Verse 12, anyone who meets a testing challenge head on and manages to stick it out is mighty fortunate. For such persons' loyalty in God, in love with God, the reward is life and more life. So there is a crown of life for staying loyal to the Lord, for standing when being persecuted, when being tried. My prayer for you, my beloved, is that the Lord will see you through your testing and that you will stand. And just like Abraham, when you pass the test, you and I will become permanent friends of the Lord. And not only are we going to be friends of the Lord, the Lord will give to us the crown of life that he has prepared for us from before the foundations of the earth. May God bless you. May God bless you. And may God bless you. Thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. You can reach me. My name is Pastor Marjorie Esomaway. You can reach me on Wisdom for Women International dot org or triumphant dot org dot uk wisdom for women international dot org or triumphant dot org dot uk may god bless you and please keep visiting this podcast there will always be something new for you and i to learn from the feet of the holy spirit god bless you amen and amen